We're back to wrap things up with the judicial branch and the Supreme Court talking about court packing with Ryan from Between the Liars. Should there be a constitutional amendment to protect and preserve the continuity of the Supreme Court? All this in today's episode of Blueprint. I am your host, Ken Drew, and this is Taboo Topic. Today, with the latest content through social media, type in the search bars of Instagram, Getter, Truth Social, and TikTok, mainly those first three of Instagram, Getter, or Truth Social, Kenjin underscore express. I repeat, Kenjin underscore express. Spell the word engine, then put the letter K in front of the word engine, then you get Kenjin, one word, underscore express. You can also follow this show on Facebook just by typing in the search bar of Taboo Topic. Look for the logo that says Honesty equals Understanding. You can listen to this show on any platform from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, and even Amazon, which, by the way, please don't forget to give this show a rating and review. If it's anything less than a five-star, let me know so I can better serve you. Last but not least, you can find the inspirations for the Wednesday's episodes on my Substack newsletters. Type in the URL at kenjin296.substack.com if you want a visual of the inspiration and you want that script to see what the episode on Wednesday shall be focused on. Share this with your friends and family members because here on this show, we dare to think out loud and question the narrative. Free speech triumphs safe space because in order for us to think, we have to risk being offensive. If we want true peace in our society, we have to be able to be honest with each other without judgment. If we can be honest with each other, then we can achieve real peace in our society. Amen. This is a reminder that the Biden administration abandoned nine to 15,000 Americans in Afghanistan. Now, you won't hear about this from the media or any politician for that matter because the global elite have their own agenda that disregards human life and basic human dignity. So, to the families and individuals that have been affected by this abandonment, know that you have not forgotten. Most Americans, like myself, know or your loved ones didn't choose to stay behind. If there's any way I can further help besides bring awareness, reach out at Kenjin underscore express. I repeat, Kenjin underscore express on Instagram. Spell the word engine, put the letter K in front of the word engine, then you get Kenjin, one word, underscore express, if you have, by one in a millionth chance, hear this message. It's not much, but know this, justice will be served for those who lied to justify their competence. After all, I believe in God, who is in control of all things, and he says, vengeance is mine. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome to another edition of Blueprint. I am the host of Taboo Topic, Ken Drew, with my friend Ryan from Between the Liners. Ryan, how are you? Doing great. How are you? Never better. Never better. It's uh, another wonderful week that I made it through. So <laughs> It is Friday. Always a good day. Yeah, happy Friday, everyone. Happy- Ryan, how was your week? It was good. I'm uh, you know, just getting the full swing of, of the semester, prepping my students for the next speech that they got coming up. And uh, we've got a speech and debate tournament that will be an online tournament in two weeks. So we're getting down to the wire with prepping my students for that. So good times, though. How about you? How did yours go? It went pretty well. Pretty chill. Nothing crazy as far as uh, <laughs> classes. Uh, I got a b on my latest quiz in math statistical social sciences or social sciences statistics i should say and uh i did a journal check for like information literacy something like that where uh, they're teaching us how to research information which i kind of already do that anyway for my podcast yeah but our professor wants us to focus on more liberal sources not surprising so um we have to do a research paper at some point based on the United Nations um, goals. So interesting. It is interesting. If anyone follows me on my show, you already know, like I have a huge skepticism towards the UN as a whole already. <laughs> so it's going to be a challenge for me to like put my own bias aside for and just, you know, suck it up kind of deal and, <laughs> you know, just do what I have to do to get the grade that I need to pass. But otherwise, I'm going to try my best to work within the parameters, but while at the same time staying true to myself. So that's going to be a challenge, Ryan. 
So yeah, it's a good balance, though, right? Stay color within the lines, but you know, don't don't necessarily pretend to be something or someone that you're not. Yeah. So I think <laughs> my approach to teaching is I don't care whether my students have the same views as me or not i i'm not going to grade them based off of that now if they come up with you know just if they did a quick google and they took the top three to five points and they did no further research i'm gonna be like all right look (laughs) we have a discussion about this but i don't really care if they agree with my personal beliefs or not in fact i don't think that they should agree with the teacher 100 percent. i don't think anybody should so i try to make that very clear unfortunately not everybody does that yeah and that was the issue i had with the criteria and the journal check because this is like the journal checks is supposed to be like a build up to the actual final product of your research paper so you have like a you know something to go off of afterwards yeah part of the criteria is having good information or factual information. And uh, as we live in the 21st century, it's one of those times where it's like, well, what's your idea of factual information? My idea of facts and your set of facts are two completely different things. If I bring diff- if I bring facts that counter the UN's argument, will that be counted against me? And so that's my only concern about going into this class and her criteria, but Give be- I'll practice what you do best. Give people benefit of the doubt. So <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. But it was good week, ready for the weekend, even though it's raining in Florida, but I like the rain. So yeah. did you ever find out from your students what real me is by any chance follow up? <laughs> no, I honest honestly I forgot. Uh, I will I will mark that down though. Real meat. I'll see if they can they can fill me in on that. Yeah, or it's be real, excuse me. That's what it was. Be, be real. real. Be real. So I got it from my group chat. Um, it's basically a combination of Instagram and Snapchat, more or less. Okay. So that's what I got from it. I personally don't see the point of it. It's just adding, it's just another social media app that can take over your life kind of deal. So I don't know. I'm ready to get over social media. But if it weren't for what I do here in this podcast, I mean, I have to have social media. So yeah. Anywho, enough of my soapbox for today. Let's get started for today's show, folks. This is going to be the last week for the judicial branch. I know this is a lot quicker than the Congress in particular. We went through Congress and took us about a month, literally a month, four weeks to get through Congress. But there was because that was because there's a lot more to go over with Congress. And also there's a lot more points of nuances that Ryan and I had to t- tackle and disagreed. And at times we had impasses. But with the judicial branch, Ryan and I pretty much agreed that should be left alone for the most part. Yep. Uh, would you mind going over what we went over last week, Ryan? Yeah, so we didn't spend a lot of time at the state level. We we did kind of say that we should let the states just kind of do their thing. And I think mm-hmm. that any any constitutional amendments or any like criticisms or things that we would want to change or protect is just at the federal level. So I want to make sure that we note that we, we are trying to leave the states alone. Some of the states, they'll elect and they do like election cycles, kind of like the DA. Some of yep. them they appoint, sometimes they're for life. Like it, it really just depends. And we wanted to let that be. Now, for the federal portion, we wanted to keep it the same. It is a life appointment. They are nominated by the president, they are confirmed by the Senate, as is the current process. And then there is no restrictions, no age restrictions, no time restrictions. Like they, they just, once they're appointed, they go until they either choose to step down or they pass away, one of the two. So that was that was kind of the gist, I think, of what we got to last week. Like you said, didn't really change a whole lot. No, uh, we agree that as far as at the federal level, it should be it should remain in life appointment because um, that best minimizes corruption despite its flaws. And if there's any mistakes or errors that we believe that from the Supreme Court, then it should be left to the states to either do a constitutional amendment through a convention of states or Congress to amend the Constitution itself to fix the error or... Let the activists and lawyers do their thing and go through the court system and try to appeal the decision like we did with uh, Jim Crow or Roe v. Wade. It'll take time, but the expression of the, what was it, Ryan, as far as how a justice system works, like it takes a long time for the, the gears change. of justice grind slowly, something like that. Yeah, something along those lines. Um, that's pretty much what we, that's pretty much our stance. Now, out of curiosity, Ryan, if, Kentucky had a decision to have life appointments in their state for you. Would you vote yes or would you vote for an election? Now we're just, we'll get we'll, we'll get a little bit into the states just for fun's sake. Anyway, yeah. um, honestly, I I would say yes. Um, just I think I, I, my reasoning for for yes is if you recall last segment, I'm very much 
a proponent of they shouldn't be subject to the whims of the people. They shouldn't be pressured by the people in the same way we can pressure, pressure our politicians so long as they are doing their only job, which is to make sure that laws that are passed are constitutional, etc. And so I think I, I actually don't know uh, being newer to the state of Kentucky. I don't know whether <laughs> they are appointed or whether we vote for them. But I, I would say that if there was an amendment like that to solidify that it's a life appointment, I, right now I think I would say yes, just to be consistent with the idea that I, I don't think that they should be subject to the same whims. Now, I might consider voting in favor of a restriction if, let's say, it was like they get you know 10 years, 15 years, like, like a longer tenure to where we are not subject to the constant flip-flopping of right. the whims of the people. Right. We, we want some steady consistency in our government and our justice system. So I think that I would be in favor of the life appointments, provided there was a very clear way to impeach someone if they're doing what we would consider to be unconstitutional. So, for example, if we were like, hey, you get three fourths of the popular vote to say that this person should be impeached. It's a very heavy majority and that way the justice is not like a king, right? Because that, right. that way it's not like, oh, crap, <laughs> we didn't know. Uh, they, they were they were not an in, you know, like with an incumbent, someone returning for your vote as a congressional member. We kind of know what they're doing or not doing. And then as soon as you take a chance on a newbie, I would hate to take a chance on a newbie. And then it's like a king, uh, you know, ruling right. over the people. So so long as there was a very clear impeachment process with very clear burdens, not not like we're seeing the House impeaching uh, you know, presidents right now just because they disagree with things, like a very heavy burden of proof and a very heavy majority, like three-fourths, none of this 50-plus-1% majority, then I right. would be in favor of that if that gives you an idea of kind of what my requirements would be. Hmm. And I said last week that I would be in favor, at least in Florida, to remain a life appointment. I think Florida is a life appointment, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Don't hold me to that, fat checkers, please. But <laughs> Comment um, below. <laughs> comment below if I'm wrong. But I think if Florida were to decide um, if they would do a life appointment, I'll probably vote in favor of it. I would be open to compromising at a state level, like you said, um, to like maybe like a higher tenure kind of deal. It's just so as long as we're not like constantly cycling through justice, justices at the state level where we lose that continuity. Because uh, I think that's one of the beauty. That's the beauty of life appointments. You at least have that continuity. And when you have that continuity, you minimize corruption. And they're not um, at the whim. They're not at the whims of the people or even the government, which, you know, the proposals last week would pretty much create the same problems that the Great Britain had. Uh, during the colonial times, except instead of being under subjugated or ruling for political points with the government, like the king, it'll be in, it'll be for winning political points with the people, and we don't want that. We don't want them to be subjugated to the populace like that. So, um, so I'll be open. I would be open to more compromise, but at the federal level, for now, just leave it alone. So, uh, with that said, folks. We're going to get into a change that we think needs to take place, but not in the sense of uh, actually creating an actual, like a a sudden change in the system, but more so protecting and preserving continuity. And that is the idea of court packing, and it's a, it's a phenomenon that's actually become more recent. I would say, Ron, probably the last four six years. The conversation has been brought up more and more. It's not the first time America's had this conversation, but it's definitely a much more recent phenomenon. Uh, you mentioned during our break before we got on that FDR at one point was trying to pack the court. And I wanted you to go ahead and explain the difference between the conservative idea of court packing versus a liberal idea of court packing, because both talk about court packing, but they have two very distinctive ideas. And yep. yeah, go ahead. So the traditional meaning of the word court packing is where you expand the number of justices that are on the Supreme Court. So FDR was saying, I don't have the number of justices that I need to not have this struck down as unconstitutional, the laws that he was he was trying to get through and or the executive orders he was passing. So he was in favor of expanding the number of justices to favor his particular side. That would be court packing. Now, that didn't go through, notably, because at that time, everyone in the Democratic Party for him said, 
you're crazy. Like we will bear the IRA <laughs> right. people. Absolutely do not do this. Then in you know the 2016 to 2020 time when Donald Trump was appointing justices either to the Supreme Court or also, you know, he winds up appointing to some of the federal circuits and things like that at more of the state and regional levels. Democrats started saying that Donald Trump is packing the courts and he's engaging in court packing. And what they meant by that was that there were liberal justices who retired or passed away and he was replacing them with conservative justices, which swung the balance of the court in favor of conservatives. Right. And remember, conservative versus liberal on the courts is not the same meaning as the political meaning. It means tra- you know, like a traditionalist, like literal literalist originalist. interpretation, originalist versus uh, more like judicial activism that interprets the a living document, a living document that can be interpreted to skew in the direction that they want. Right. And so that was how that has been used for honestly the last probably five to six years, I'd say, where they they say that, well, this he's packed the courts, which means we need to pack the courts. And it's it's been amazing to me to watch how they go from one side over here, right? That, you know, well, we hold, we hold the power. We, we like the status quo to, we don't like this. So let's, let's break the tool. If we don't get to wield the tool of power, nobody does. And now they've, and, and then to justify, because it's a radical idea, right? To pack the courts. So from a linguistic standpoint saying, well, Donald Trump already packed the courts. Now we need to pack the courts. It, it makes it seem less radical than it actually is because they they engage in what would be called a misnomer. They misrepresent uh, or misinterpret or twist the meaning of a word. And that would be called right. equivocation, right? Equivocation is where you either have one word that has two different meanings um, or you, you might even have like two similar words that have the same meaning and they try to like twist them into a box you know, it might be called like try to square that circle, right? Like they're trying to twist something that wouldn't originally be there. Donald Trump, by definition of court packing, did not pack the courts. But when you <laughs> twist the word court packing to mean, well, he packed people on in there, he he appointed them. Well, right. now they get to then say, well, that means we get to do this other version of court packing, which is expanding the courts. Right. And that's one thing that Democrats during the 2020 election was saying, we were not going to pack the court. We're not going to just go ahead and add justices and add more. Even Joe Biden straight himself said, we are not going to pack the court. And guess what's happened since the election? Now they're saying, now they want, they want to pack the court. Why? Because they no longer hold a majority in the Supreme Court. And so they can't have Supreme Court justices. They can't have their laws that are clearly unconstitutional. They won't be upheld anymore. So... Because of this, they can go ahead and try, they want to anyway, to go ahead and try to pack the court and add justices so they can regain the majority. They say it's to gain more balance, but they just want to gain the majority again. That's all it is. Well, to them, the balance is that they hold the power. And also, you know, they they start with the premise that the 2016 election was stolen. Uh, And so these are not, these are, this was an illegitimate president. Therefore, these are illegitimate appointees. Therefore, the court no longer holds the sanctity that is the Supreme Court. So, and, and there's this justification that that they go through. Now, do right. you know what their what their plan and their proposal is slash was to pack the courts? Not off the top of my head, do you know? Okay. So, yes. Yeah, so this was talked about quite a bit in the 2016 election, and it was the big push for why they needed to get Raphael Warnock and. Um, I'm forgetting the other dude's name. Uh, they need to get both Georgia seats to equalize it because what they were going to do was they were going to say, all right, number one, let's destroy the filibuster. The filibuster meaning that you needed uh, the, you know, was it 60, 60 of the 100 votes to pass anything other than like budget type things. So they were yeah. going to destroy the filibuster, which would then mean that if you don't need the filibuster to add states, they were going to add two states. They were going to add D.C. as a state and they were going to add Puerto Rico as a state. And uh, those two would tend to lean more Democrat, especially if they get to just appoint the uh, the representatives who would be in there. So, like, guaranteed D.C. would be Democrat and also Puerto Rico would pretty much go Democrat as well. So then they would go from having 50 to 52. And if two of their Democrats didn't stay in line and they got, you know, down to the 50, <laughs> then they would have Kamala Harris again. Right. So that would be the plan. And then what they would do is, again, because the filibuster is destroyed, they would go ahead and then they would decide to pack the court. And then they would have Joe. They, they would pass legislation that would allow them to, to do it or they would just 
say, well, Joe Biden's just going to nominate and we're going to confirm so long as we do that. Right. There's no there's no norm being upheld then. And that's right. the other really interesting thing to me is that the Democrats are definitely the people who have been claiming, well, we're returning to normal. Uh, we're you know, we're, we're we're all about playing <laughs> by the rules. But then they change the rules. like that. OK, well, the norm has been that we don't pack the court. And yet you're talking about packing the court. Well, in their, in their eyes, the idea of going back to normal is being, being the ones running things and being in charge. Yeah. Again, equivocation, right? Because the definition of normal is subjective because subjective to them, like you just pointed out, is that they're the ones who are in charge versus, you know, a, a very reasonable definition of normal is that we don't pack the courts. So <laughs> right. it depends. And some people may be wondering as far as like, isn't there, isn't there a constitutional amendment that protects court packing? And the reality is there isn't any, there isn't any uh, court packing amendment in the constitution. Now, there has been actual changes as far as like how many justices have been able to be served, how many justices were able to serve on the bench. It started off at six. And then the last time we've changed was 1869. So we got over 100 years of continuity, 100, over 100 years of precedence, 150 years. That was to be closer, you know, round up. Um, <laughs> but, point <laughs> it, but the point is, like, it's been, no one has touched that. And so we've been relying on this precedence, this continuity, that we do not, we're not going to add nine justices. Nine justices is reasonable. You know, we avoid a scenario of an impasse, if you will, and we have a Supreme, you know, we either have a majority that are in favor of upholding a certain law or not upholding a law, but at least we don't, at least the system still rolls and continues and move forward. Uh, we're not just stuck in this stagnant position, which again, I like that. That's what I like about the Supreme Court. And so my proposal that I wrote in my article, which again, folks, you can refer to that, the judicial brain, smaller government for my sub stack. If you want to check that out, it'll be in, in like in the description. Thanks to Ryan. Uh, <laughs> but if you want, but I have proposed, Ryan, that we need to ensure that we avoid a game of ping pong, avoid a scenario where we just start packing and adding justices to the Supreme Court just to gain a legal advantage. Because if the Democrats get away with this, Republicans, when they get in charge, well, they're going to do it as well. And then when the Democrats get back in control, it's going to go back and forth. And I think this is actually what ended up happening in Venezuela, where they packed the court, and, I, and it got so big and so out of whack that, I mean, look at where Venezuela is now. It's part of their downfall, right? And so we want to avoid a scenario like that where we end up having, like, 50 Supreme Court justices, which is too many, too big, and we also avoid that game of ping pong. And you may wonder, like, well, if we – if this has been established like 150 plus years, then why do we need this amendment? Which I would argue, let's go back to FDR and George Washington, right? So when it comes to the executive branch, George Washington set the precedence where you can only serve two terms as president, two full four-year terms as president. And for the next 100 plus years or so, that was the precedent. Every president never, went, never tried to break that rule that George Washington set. It was like a rule of humility, if you will, that said, like, we're not kings. We're not elected monarch. This is a representative democracy, a republic. So we're going to go ahead and step down and do the right thing, if you will. That was true all the way up until FDR, which ironically enough, we brought up FDR earlier, saying that he wanted to pack the court himself. Well, he also broke the precedent by running for not just a third term, but four terms in office. And so what happened? What do we do after that? Well, Americans realized we didn't like that. We felt very uncomfortable with the fact that a president could just serve four terms without any consequence. And essentially, he became a king. And many can argue and point back to him as being the first president to really treat the position like an elective king at that point. Because, again, the stuff that he pushed through, like the social welfare programs he pushed through and the executive orders. I think he still holds the record for most executive orders signed ever as a president. I'm not, I, I believe so. Yeah, I think he I is. Think Obama came pretty close even in his two years, which is why he was known as the pen and phone president uh, because right. he, he didn't do a lot of cooperation with Congress. He just kind of did it by executive order. But yeah, I think just by the fact that he held four terms, I think that, you know, he just... <laughs> right. Hold, hold He'll always record. hold that record. But... 
goes to show you, though, like you can't rely on precedence and continuity all the time if it's not explicit in the Constitution. So I want to make a constitutional amendment, Ryan, that actually has it officially in the Constitution that states a Supreme Court can only have nine justices in the system can serve on the bench. I think it's necessary to protect the really the integrity of our court system, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, and to avoid, again, a scenario where we we don't have to work. Because at that point, if we have it in the system, we don't have to worry about, you know, if the Democrats are in charge, you know, are they going to are they going to try to add new Supreme Court justices just to gain an advantage? And then when Republicans get in charge, we don't have to worry about them trying to play revenge politics and try to get a legal advantage at that point. So that's my soapbox as far as why I think we need <laughs> to make a constitutional amendment to protect that continuity and uh, preserve that integrity so that's my only change really that really the only change to the supreme court i want to make really in this so i i segment. agree with i agree with the sentiment of your thing i would change the wording slightly to say that it shall have nine instead of it should have what did you say um nine yeah uh just just and, and that sounds like a semantics game but from a, a legal standpoint you need the semantics it needs to stay at nine which means that i also don't want it to be fewer than nine justices if that makes mm -hmm. sense, because you need the odd number to have the tie-breaking vote. Right. Um, and, and in the rare case that you have a three-way split, which is kind of what we saw with the, with the Dobbs court case that overturned Roe v. Wade, right. is you had Justice Roberts technically siding with the majority opinion there, but he also kind of went and did his own thing, kind of trying to do what he would say is like maintain the sanctity of the court, which is another topic <laughs> that I, I would like to get on today. But I, I think that it, it it's necessary to have an odd number with six justices. You can be split three, three, and then right. what happens, right? Actually, I, I genuinely don't know what happens at that point when you have a three, three split. I don't know if it stays as is, or if it counts as a, a strike down or what have you, but I really think that keeping it at nine, no more, no less is going to be necessary. So I would just tweak the language to where it basically mandates that we must have nine, no more, no less. Now that, will not cut against the idea and this has become you know a majorly hot topic in the last eight years ten years where that doesn't mean that congress has to appoint the nominee that the president appoints so for example mitch mcconnell choosing to to not side and, and you know do enough uh collaboration with the democrats to put in merritt garland as a supreme court justice when president obama nominated him back in 2008 towards the end of his presidency i don't think that congress is obligated they're, they're they are obligated to confirm an appointee that doesn't mean that they're obligated to confirm you know whatever the president appoints the president must propose a nominee and then congress is the gatekeeper they decide whether that one gets appointed or not so just to clarify me saying that you know there shall always be nine does not mean that congress is obligated to just you know throw you know do like a, a rubber stamp on it that just says okay yeah as long as the president nominates we'll do that so i, I want to make that distinction very clear mm -hmm. now do we want to make allow for that nuance as far as like if we're going to make that make it toward like there has to be nine supreme court justices at, that serve on the bench Let's say there's cases that are coming up and they don't have those nine justices. Do we want to make it to where they have to have those nine justices before any type of ruling can occur? I think that the situation sorts itself out because as I understand the process, in order for a case to come before the Supreme Court, you have to have a majority. I think it's you need to get at least, if not five, I want to say you almost need to get six justices willing to hear the case. And right. so that would mean that if we're split 4-4, four, four, then you know, justices can strategically choose to hear or not hear something at the time. So, for example, if let's say there's four liberal justices on the court and four conservative justices, and then one of them is afraid on how this, you know, a case that might be very important to them, let's say, I know they're not supposed to be biased, but realistically, that's not the way that, that works. <laughs> then they could just vote against hearing the case for now, right? So I feel like that problem sorts itself out at the discretion of the justices. I don't know that we need to micromanage them in that way. As a personal, so so if it was, let's say we had a Ruth uh, Ginsburg scenario where she passed away while she was still on the bench. We go down to eight justices, and let's say Roe v. Wade gets put put on the table. Then at that moment, yeah, let's say they get those six justices. Should they be able to still? Do you think still be able to to hear the case? To, to hear the case, I would say yeah. 
and, and the reason is that I just, if the justices were like, I don't think we have the votes to rule this and I need, you know, that, that ninth person on the bench, then I think they would vote against hearing the case in the first place. So you're trusting them, basically giving them benefit of the doubt they would do the right thing, it sounds like? In a way. Now, I think the greater question is not so much should the justices hear that, but rather how many cases would they potentially deny until Congress gets their stuff together and confirms a justice of sorts, right? So in theory, it could be like, I know that they, you know, got, um, oh, I'm blanking on her name. We, we got, Trump got his last nominee through um, before he left office congress approved it but in in the event that they hadn't gotten it through you know then they they could have still and i think they did continue to hear cases even with only the eight that were there like i think that they still heard the cases that they had agreed to hear even without rbg and i think that that just meant that when they were split it was a 4-4 decision i see so in that case then um i guess my only concern so how have we rewarded it a little bit to where the con- we can no longer we can we shall have a maximum of nine justices, yeah. no less than nine yeah. justices, but you know, and just leave it at that. That way, we still allow that room for nuance in case we have like a Ruin Ginsburg situation where she passes away. We get eight Supreme Court justices, and we don't have to worry about the semantics or the micro, you know the bureaucracy aspect as far as like, well, we don't have nine justices, so we can't go ahead and actually hear these cases. Even if we get six uh, people to say we want to hear the case, um, it's just that amendment is just there to protect, to ensure that Congress can't just take away, you know, can't just minimize, can't just say, well, we're going to go ahead and add people to the court. We're also going to take away people from the court. Like nine is the bare minimum and also the maximum. So, how would you feel about adding that change of language? Semantic. Uh, it sounds okay to me, I think. Yeah, because at the end of the day, what we're trying to avoid is Congress just trying to gain a legal advantage, avoid the game of ping right, pong. Right, right. So that's really the whole deal. So um, now you said something about Chief Justice Roberts earlier they wanted to get into. Yeah. So <laughs> this is so it's been very interesting because Chief, Chief Justice Roberts was supposed to be, you know, a conservative justice. And what he right. has done is he has both voted in ways that would indicate this and also stated this explicitly. But he's he's very concerned with what he would call the sanctity of the court. He's okay. very concerned with and that just means the court's image. Right. Does the court look like it's doing what it's supposed to be doing? And in doing so, he actually often undermines the sanctity of the court. <laughs> a great example of this would be when Obamacare was going through. Obamacare originally proposed that they would put a tax on people who did not enroll in Obamacare. Mm-hmm. So if you, for whatever reason, didn't really matter what it was, decided not to enroll in the Affordable Care Act, you would be taxed. Right. So it would be, it would be like, like, let's say that I get better coverage from my work. I'm going to be taxed for not enrolling in this. Or if I don't qualify for it, I would be taxed, et cetera. Like you, you get the point here. Right. And what the court should have said was what they did say, which is you cannot tax someone for not doing something. You can tax <laughs> someone for doing something, right? And, and you can actually levy hefty taxes for things that you're trying to get people to avoid doing, such as what we would call a sin tax, right? Uh, higher right. taxes on alcohol, tobacco, et cetera. But you can't say, yeah, if you don't do this, because then you're just perpetually taxing someone, and that, that's abusive at, at, <laughs> at best. But then what Justice Roberts did to maintain the sanctity of the court, in his words, was he basically pigeonholed it and like re- he, he just like rewrote the law so that it was still there but wasn't technically a tax. He's like, well, don't call it a tax, call it a fine, and then boom. Right? The, the job of the court was to yeah, say this is unconstitutional. <laughs> right. So, and essentially he, he should have as a, as a self-proclaimed originalist, textualist, et cetera, he should have said, this is unconstitutional and kicked it back to Congress to fix themselves. He's not a legislator, but what he did was he sided with the liberal majority, making it a majority at that point that would then make it so that it went through 
and wasn't struck down as unconstitutional, but on the condition that he like tweaked and rewrote it. And so that's what I'm saying there is that you're you're destroying the sanctity of the court to maintain the sanctity of the court. You are stepping outside the mandated and even like the the precedented duties <laughs> of Congress to make it so that people don't complain. And and here's what I think about that. I think that someone like that, a justice like that, Roberts in particular in this instance, is really just concerned about who's going to complain the most. And Democrats tend to complain the loudest. They tend to protest the loudest. They tend to, you know, cause it's the, the squeaky wheel gets the oil type of a thing. And I think that he's, he knew in that instance that conservatives would complain, but they weren't going to cause as much of a headache. (laughs) Right. And so he sides with that and then claims that it's for the sanctity of the court. So to me, I think that what he means by sanctity of the court is I don't want to receive pushback from people or become unpopular. And I don't want the court at large to be unpopular, which is a very interesting approach to that. And I will say that Justice Roberts is honestly the Aaron Burr of the justices. He waits to see where the wind blows. We even saw this in the Dobbs decision, right? Like from my understanding, he was like trying to like get some of the justices to either change their opinions. And then like when he couldn't get them to do that, he basically cushioned his decision to side with the majority. It's it's very weird. um, Yeah. Like he was, I think it, if I remember correctly from his arguments, at least when it came to that, uh, he was basically trying to uphold the Mississippi law as like a fair compromise. Like, why can't we just leave this alone? You know, let's let's stay Mississippi, have this law, but leave Roe v. Wade alone. <laughs> right. Uh, basically, yeah. And that's and that's not the way that it works because you have a direct conflict between a state law and a federal law. Uh, but actually, it wasn't even a federal law; it was an interpretation of law, uh, right. which which means that it. Absolutely, because if it had been a federal law, the Supreme Court would need to have ruled whether the federal law was constitutional or unconstitutional. What we're doing here is they were given a chance to determine whether or not the precedent of what was decided in that previous court case was an accurate interpretation or we want to to tweak it based off of not only current situations, but like in essence, if you didn't know this, the the case in Mississippi essentially was in direct clash with the precedent of Roe v. Wade and both parties in Mississippi basically said, no, we want a Supreme Court ruling. We won't compromise. We won't change this. It's, it's, it, we're going to maintain this, this gridlocked clash until a decision is made, which then forced the Supreme Court to have to make a ruling one way or another, which is why we have this in the first place. So ironically, the, I don't know. I, I, I'll just say the Democrats' unwillingness to leave that one situation alone really led to the overturning of the precedent as a whole, which is just an interesting way that that played out. But Well, it's also interesting how we talked about last week, like we're worried about Supreme Court justices trying to r- rule just to gain popularity with the people. And that's what yep. Chief Justice Roberts Oh, absolutely. I mean, yes. That's what he's doing right there. It's like he's trying to rule based on where the wind blows or the populist is. Yes. As a matter of fact, that's one of his justifications why he wanted – I guess we're kind of pivoting back to last week's conversation. But, right. I mean, his arguments why we should have term limits is so we can have be more in touch with the populist, according to Chief yeah. Justice Roberts, which, I mean, it's consistent to his beliefs as of right now. But as far as, like, what he – Claims to be trying to fight against like the corruption and everything like that. Like yeah. he's kind of taking part of that corruption of the Supreme Court. Because again, the whole point of the Supreme Court is supposed to be completely independent, free from public pressure and uh, political pressure, even. Yeah. And well, trying- I, Go ahead. And what you said about the um, being in touch. I would argue, and I feel like you'll agree with this, I would argue that it is not the job of the Supreme Court to be in touch with the people. It is the job of the Supreme Court to be in touch with the interpretation of the Constitution that is historically accurate, that they they are to be just completely wedded to the Constitution. That is their job. And then they take the Constitution and then they look at the current legislation that is being that, that has been passed and they say, does this violate any of the Constitution? And if it does, they strike it down and say, you can't do this. And if it doesn't, then they uphold it. And that's the way that's supposed to be. And so really, who needs to be in touch with the people? It's the congressional members. It's our senators. It's not supposed to be the Supreme Court. And I know that we touched upon this before, but I cannot reiterate this enough. If you have a problem with laws not being 
in touch with the people. That is not an issue to take up with the Supreme Court. That is an issue to take up with your congressional members. Literally, state Democrats at the U.S. level, so your U.S. senators, had the opportunity and did not pass legislation that would have codified Roe v. Wade. All right. Even they had like the supermajority, I think, back in 2008. Yes. They they not only had control of the House and the Senate, they had a supermajority in both with President Obama coming into office for his first term, and they did nothing. And I'll tell you exactly why. They will blame Republicans, and it's much easier for them to convince people that it's the obstruction of Republicans right now when we're at a 50-50 split. Mm -hmm. But realistically, they will never ever pass legislation like that because they do not give a shit about us as their constituents. They care about what can they campaign on next go around. That (laughs) is what they care about. And that is why. So if you have an issue with that being overturned, you should take that up with your congressional members who for since 2008, when they had a supermajority, and then since then, when they had the opportunity with even just enough of a majority pass this, they refuse to. Right. That is on them. And if, you know, Now, personally, I don't think there should ever be a federal law on the books codifying in favor of or against Roe v. Wade, um, because I think that that is a state's issue that should be taken up. And so I think that even if Republicans took control and they were able to pass a law, I would still disagree with that, just like I disagree with the Democrats doing it, because of the way the Constitution is set up, that that is actually supposed to be, between that and precedent, it's supposed to be a state's rights issue. Now, I don't want to get too far into that because that will drag us way off, off the topic. <laughs> but right. this, this, the point that I'm making here is that oftentimes people are in favor of packing the Supreme Court, limits on the Supreme Court, et cetera, because they want it to be more in touch. They want it to represent that. And I was like, well, no, we could actually physically change the laws that the Supreme Court would then have to uphold as constitutional or not. So if, and, and then you could make the argument, all right, well, the law I want, let's say, for example, let's say you were in favor of a a national support of abortion. Right. And right now the argument is, well, that would be ruled unconstitutional. Well, then put enough people in Congress to get this, the supermajority to make it a constitutional amendment that doesn't grain it instead of because what you're doing then is you're treating you're, you're trying to treat the symptoms. You're not treating the disease. If you have an issue with any of the laws, pick any side, any law any issue. If your issue is that, well, this wouldn't be upheld as constitutional, then start voting enough people and rallying to get enough people to make it a constitutional amendment that the Supreme Court would then, because realistically, if the Democrats got enough legislators to to pass that as a constitutional amendment, and then it went to the Supreme Court and you have Republican originalists who go with the Constitution that say that you're supposed to uphold the amendments, they would honestly, if they stuck to their traditionalist, originalist, textualist approach, they would have to uphold it. So I think that if you have an issue with this, it could really be fixed by going with yours and my approach to this, that it's supposed to be a constitutional amendment issue and not a Supreme Court issue. And we touched on last week that the reason why ideas like court packing has become so popular is because once a ruling occurs that pe- the people don't like, they want to change something really quick. And we've become a society that wants to change fast. We're impatient people at this point. We're in an instant gratification society. Yep. And so whenever something doesn't go our way and we want some change like Roe v. Wade, the Democrats are obviously upset with Roe v. Wade. And there's some Republicans too who are upset with Roe v. Wade's overturn. Uh, their immediate reaction is based on feelings instead of objective standards. And we don't want changes to be based on sub- subjectivity. We want to be objective. Okay. And that's the problem when it comes to the arguments, whether it's election, you know, term limits for the Supreme Court, or even packing the court. Yeah. It's based on your personal feelings. So I would challenge anyone who supports court packing. I said it last week when it came to term limits and uh, elections for the Supreme Court, but I'm going to challenge you for court packing. If you're someone who supports court packing and does not support the idea of a constitutional limit to ensure that Congress can't take away the nine justices or even add the nine to the nine justices, uh, why is what is your sentiment? Because Ryan and I, we gave you guys like an objective standard why we think it needs to exist. 
yes, there's some there's some feelings, there's some subjectivity and everything like that. But for the most part, it's based on objective standards as far as like, well, continuity, precedence. We want to protect those things. And so if you support court packing, ask yourself, is it beyond the realms of, oh, I just, there's been some rulings I don't like. And if that's the case, then that's not a good standard to abide yourself in. Because again, your feelings are subject to change because there's going to be some Supreme Court rulings that you're going to like and the other side is going to dislike and they're going to say the same things that you're saying right now and you're going to be like, and you're going to change your position from let's pack the court to no, 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 no. Let's go ahead and keep the system as is and protect that continuity. Well, if that's the case, then at that, then you re- then you have to come to the conclusion that your idea and sentiments right now about court packing that you want to happen is purely subjective and not objective. And that would be so. That be, that's what I would conclude with. And to add to that, the reason Donald Trump was able to get four nominees in is because Democrats destroyed the filibuster on the judicial confirmation. Right. They made it so that it only took 51 votes to do that. And then they didn't like it when it swung back around. So I say this to point out that the Democrats wind up kind of shooting themselves in the foot and then blaming other people for their problems. They decided to completely massacre and throw out the the filibuster because they were not getting the judicial nominees that they wanted. Instead of addressing the issue, they took the cosmetic approach, and it shot them in the foot years later, not even one election cycle later. If they become short-sighted like that again, and they try to pack the court of things like that, just, just be aware that because it is subject to the whims of people, then it will come back <laughs> around to Republicans. And if Republicans were doing something, I would say the same. Be aware that it will swing back to the other side. It's very short-sighted to pass something based off of your feelings. I'm not saying your feelings aren't valid. I'm not saying you can't hold those feelings. Oftentimes, people's feelings on huge issues will not change because they're rooted in values. So it's not – what Ken and I have said is not to undermine that, but rather right. don't Take those feelings and then make it to where people can abuse, in my opinion, abuse the system and then throw us back and forth like ping pong balls because <laughs> you were in favor of that. And, and here's here's what I would say. If you are if you are not in favor of using a constitutional amendment to, to take care of these things or to use Congress to just pass them as laws, then I would say that probably you hold the minority opinion, which there's nothing wrong with that. But then you can't tweak the rules to make the minority opinion or just barely the majority opinion the rule of the federal law because they're like well uh, you know democrats have been saying this law well this is the will of the people it's like if it was the will of the people you wouldn't need to cram it through on a 50 plus the presidential or the vice presidential (laughs) vote to to tie break that if it was the will of the people you would have the filibuster proof 60 percent. that's not even I mean, that's not even the three-fourths that some of these wind up taking. That is just 60%. And that's that's a lot of votes. But again, you need a solid majority. And I would argue that any opinion that is held that is upset that they can't get through on on the filibuster-proof majority, then it's not, it's not moderate enough or it's not popular enough to get it through. So I would say that's a pretty good temperature check on should this or should this not be going through. And that goes for anything right, right. now. I mean – at the end of the day, the Supreme Court, when you look at the three branches, whether it's the executive branch, con- congressional branch, or or the legislative branch, excuse me, sorry, fat checkers, um, <laughs> <laughs> or the judicial branch, the judicial branch is truly an objective branch. And then you have the executive and congressional branches that are more subjective and objective branch with the judicial branch. That's supposed to be like the checks and balances aspect that kind of brings the two kind of holds the other two branches in check. Um, really quickly, speaking of fact checkers, you did mention Merrick Garland. It was 2016 that he was that that got brought up with uh, Obama. You said 2008 earlier, so I want to go ahead and oh, yeah, fact yeah, check. Yeah. I want to fact check you on that, Ryan. <laughs> the sentiment is still there, but yeah, you're 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 right. <laughs> yeah. <But> anyways, <laughs> um, it was at the end of his presidency. Yeah, yeah you said yeah, 2008. Yeah. So I wish it was 2008. Yeah. Gosh. Anyways, uh, anyways, but yeah. So if you have any issues with this with how things are being run right now, stop using the judicial branch as a scapegoat to all the problems that are going on. Because again, the Supreme Court, their job is to be independent, free from your opinion. And yes, that's controversial to say, but the Supreme Court should not care about our opinion and our sentiments about an issue 
They should be only concerned about the sentiments between of the law itself and the Constitution and how those two fit. And if they clash and it does not fit, they have every right to make it unconstitutional, regardless of whether or not you want to remain a constitution, regardless of, or not if you actually want it to be a constitutional amendment or not. Which, if that's the case, then I mean, I just said it. I just gave the solution by itself: constitutional amendment. Actually, go through the process of actually amending the constitution. And there's two ways to do it: to through Congress, which we all know it's not going to happen anytime soon, or through the Convention of States, which that's actually a much more likely possibility. Or actually approaching that, but that's another conversation. Whole different day. But folks, uh, real quickly, be sure to hit the like button if in case you haven't hit the like button yet. Hit the subscribe button. Also, if you haven't, if you're on my audience, if you're from my audience or my social media, go to Ryan's page, Between the Liars, and like his page, and vice versa, folks. Like, show me some love. I know there's some people from Ryan's page that follow him heavily, and so I would appreciate if you would actually go to Taboo Topping and like my page. Uh, Ryan, go ahead. Sure, can do, Ken. Uh, remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on our social medias to stay updated at Kenjin underscore Express and at Between the Liars. We post a lot of updates on all of those, honestly. Uh, and if you enjoy this show, give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. And like Ken said, I can't say this enough, subscribe, smash the like button, and uh, yeah, give, give some love to both of our channels. Help us envision a smaller, better, more accountable government, and that starts with a blueprint. Goodbye for now.